on Wednesday nights the last couple of weeks, and uh, this may be the last message, I don't know, but we've been dealing with lessons from losing and look at some of the battles that Israel fought and lost. And sometimes you can learn some great lessons from a loss. And so we've been looking at that. Tonight I want to look at 1 Samuel chapter number 4, and we'll begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible said, And the word of, of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle, and pitched between Ebenezer and the Philist- Philistines pitched in Apex. And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines, and they slew of the army of the field about 4,000 men. And when the people were coming to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring uh, from thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, which dwelt between the cherubims. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth rang again. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood that the ark of the Lord was coming to the camp. And the Philistines were afraid. For they said, God is coming to the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there has not been such a thing heretofore. Woe unto us, who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and quit yourselves like men, O ye Philistines, that ye be not uh, servants unto the Hebrews as they have been to you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. And the Philistines fought, and Israel was smitten, and they fled every man into his tent, and there was a very great slaughter, for they fell of Israel 30,000 footmen. And the ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were slain. Now, this is a very, very dark time in the nation of Israel. And we find that in this text there are actually two battles that Israel lost to the Philistines consecutively. And I want to go ahead and jump right into the outline tonight and, and walk through this text and try to give uh, what God has for us tonight. First of all, I want to see in your notes the revealed circumstances. The revealed circumstances. What is going on in Israel at this time? Well, first of all, we know that nobility was missing. Nobility was missing. What I mean by that is there was not much character, there was not much integrity in the land of Israel during these days. Eli is the priest there in the tabernacle. He is a wicked man. He doesn't have discernment. You'll remember it was Eli that when Hannah came to pray uh, there at the ta- at the temple at the tabernacle uh, that sh- her soul was so sorrowful that she didn't, she just moved her lips. He thought she was drunk. He didn't have any spiritual discernment and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they were very wicked men. They actually committed adultery with the women uh, entering into the tabernacle. It was days where nobility was missing and Eli would not deal with their sin. He went to his boys in Second Samuel, First Samuel chapter 2 and verse number 29 and said this is some awful things. Uh, verse uh, verse uh, 29 Now Eli was very old 
and heard all that his sons did in Israel, how they lay with the women uh, that assembled at the door of the congregation. And in verse number 23, and he said unto them, Why do you such things? For I hear of your evil doings by all this people. Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear. You know what he's saying? Y'all quit being bad. But he is not taking a stand against sin. He's not taking a stand against their wickedness. He pictures the preacher of that day, the spiritual leader. And God help us when the preachers and the spiritual leaders are not having a standard of holiness and separation and honoring God. Nobility was missing. But then secondly, we see a new man. Who was that new man? Well, Hannah prayed that God would give her a son. And God answered that prayer. You know him tonight. He's the prophet Samuel. And God raised I love what God said in 1 Samuel 2 verse 35 when he is rebuking uh, Eli for his wickedness. Watch what God said says in verse 35 of 1 Samuel 2, and I will raise me up a faithful priest. That's exactly what he did, Brother Charles, because Samuel was raised in the tabernacle. He was raised in the house of God. And God said, Eli, what you're doing is wrong. What you're doing is not right. So I'm going to raise me a priest. I'm going to raise me a prophet like I want him to be. Nobility was missing. There was a new man. But then there was a needed message. The Bible teaches us in verse number 21 of chapter number 3, And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Then watch the next verse, our text, chapter 4, verse 1. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. What was the word of Samuel? It was the word of the Lord that was revealed to him at Shiloh. You know what God did God when the man wouldn't stand for truth and when a man wouldn't stand for righteous God found him a man that would declare what thus saith the Lord God's always going to have a preacher. God's always going to have a man. God's always going to have a messenger. Honey, even during that tribulation period when sin is rampant on the earth and the Antichrist is reigning, God is still going to have 144,000 Jewish evangelists. He's going to have those two witnesses declaring and preaching the Word of God. He'll always have a witness on this earth. So that is the revealed circumstances. Secondly, I want us to note the recorded contention. The recorded contention. Look at verse number 2. And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel, and they were joined to battle. Israel was smitten. And when they were joined to battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines, and they slew the army in the field, about 4,000 men. In this recorded contention, I find, first of all, a familiar adversary. Notice it's not a new enemy that's fighting Israel. It's the same old enemy that's fought them over and over and over again. Is that not right? I'll tell you the Philistines, it seemed like every time you turn the page in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, it seemed like the Philistines are raising up their head. Hey, I want to remind us tonight, we don't have any new enemies tonight. They made us have new fa different faces, but it's the same enemies we've been fighting since the Garden of Eden, the world and the flesh and the devil. They may have a different face, uh, they may have a different title, they may have a different for appearance, but I'm telling you, it's the same old enemies tonight. A familiar adversary. But then notice the fierce affliction. Verse number 2, And when they joined the battle, Israel was smitten 
before the Philistines. This word smitten, when we think of smitten, we think of, you know, smacking somebody. But that word has a deeper meaning. It means to strike down. It means that Israel never had a chance in this battle. For they were smitten. It's not like Israel was up ahead at one point and then, and then they were defeated. It's, it, it, the text indicates that the Philistines had the upper hand the entire time. A familiar adversary. The fierce affliction. And then the fatal aftermath. Verse number 2. And they slew many of the, of the army in the field. Watch how many men died. Last week, 36 men died at Ai. But look how many died here. Four thousand men that's a crowd right there four thousand daddies didn't come home four thousand husbands didn't come home four thousand brothers four thousand sons didn't come home why well look on in our text not only do we see the uh the revealed circumstances and the recorded contention but notice the rebellious consideration verses three four and five the rebellious consideration. I'm trying to slow down for y'all to write. And I tried to choose the easy words for filling the blank. Amen. This recorded, this rebellious consideration. Note in verse number three, their defiant accusation. Look at verse three. And when the people were coming to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? You know what they did? They started blaming God. They lost the battle. They, they didn't pray. They didn't seek God before they went against this battle. And they get home. 4,000 men die. And they say, why is the Lord letting this happen? Why is it that God gets blamed when something bad happens? God didn't sin in the Garden of Eden. God didn't bring sin into the world. God has not disobeyed His Word. And we do that. And I'm not saying we in this building tonight, but if we're not careful, we'll begin to blame. Well, why didn't God stop this? And why didn't God do that? And we begin, we don't, we don't realize that we're pointing our finger at God and we're accusing the Lord. We find a defiant accusation. They tried to blame it on God. Until we take personal responsibility, will never enjoy spiritual victory. A defiant accusation. Look at verse 3 again. A disrespectful attitude. Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us. Now watch it now. Watch your Bible. That when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of the enemies. He didn't say anything about the Lord. They're trusting in that ark. Now, I preached on that ark of the covenant last night there in Troy. That ark of the covenant was a special thing. It represented the presence of God. But it wasn't God. It represented it, but it wasn't God. In fact, the Lord had told Israel how to fight their wars in Deuteronomy 20. Uh, they were to put their trust in the Lord and seek the Lord and, and seek His will. But they would rather use the ark as a good luck charm. You know, kind of a good omen. You know, like them people could carry a rabbit's foot around. Wasn't too lucky for the rabbit. There's a three-legged rabbit hopping around somewhere. Or a four-leaf clover somewhere in your family Bible. Amen. Oh, you got a, you got a, uh, you've got a horseshoe nailed up over your barn going to bring you good luck. Brother Ron Garrett should say, I hope that nail rusts in half and it hits you in the head and knocks some sense into you. Amen. We don't live by luck. We live by faith. We don't live by chance. We live by faith. But you know what they're doing? They're saying, well, look, I'll tell you what we need to do. We need to get that box over here. 
We're going to look like we're religious. See, what they're doing, Brother Richie, they're imitating something that Moses and Joshua did. There's a couple occasions, Numbers chapter number 10, that Moses had the ark of the Lord go before them and it defeated their enemies. And we know in Joshua 6, we looked at it last week, that when they crossed, when they walked around the walls of Jericho, that the ark of the covenant was leading them. But here's the difference in those accounts and this account. Moses and Joshua had prayed. Moses and Joshua had sought the Lord. They ain't done none of that. They were saying, well, look, we'll just try to use this to gain our victory. They, they were not respecting God. They were, had a form of godliness, but denied the power thereof. The form of godliness was the ark. Oh, but deep down inside, they were just wanting, they just wanting to win. They didn't care nothing about honoring God because they said, it, not the Lord, it may save us. We note not only the, disres- the defiant accusation and we not only note the disrespectful attitude, but then please notice a deliberate action. Verse 4, so the people sent the Shiloh that they might bring from thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth between the cherubims. They sent people to Shiloh. Now, Shiloh is where the tabernacle was set. They're not in the big temple yet. They're still in that tabernacle in the wilderness. That tabernacle, that tent that Moses built in the, in the wilderness in the book of Exodus and Numbers, it is still being used, and it is set up in Shiloh in a permanent place. So they go and get it out of that tabernacle. Eli obviously didn't have a problem with it. Who is the priest who's supposed to be over that? And watch... They watch the defiled apostates, verse 4. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. You know what they did? They had Hophni and Phinehas carry the Ark into battle. So here you are, number one, you try to use the good luck charm, and then you find two of the most wickedest men in Israel to carry it. I mean, you find two men, I mean, you can't get much more wicked than committing adultery at the doors of the tabernacle. And not even, and they're robbing God's offerings too, if you read chapter number two. They're defiling God's house. We could preach a whole message on the sins of Hophni and Phineas. They're two wicked men. Well, look, they're priests. They serve. Get them to carry it into battle. And I'm afraid, ain't it, ain't it amazing how people will put more emphasis on a man who don't have character, don't have integrity, does not believe the King James Bible, but they'll put all their emphasis and beliefs on that man because he calls himself reverend or a prophet, or evangelist, or pastor, or, or, or whatever, whatever title, apostle bishop, hammer time, whatever it is. Whatever it is, they, they'll put more emphasis on that. I want to thank God it's not, the way, it's not that way here at our church. I told, I told the guys riding last night, I said, look, if you have to go in a church and preach against Joel Stein and Joyce Myers, I know we mention it, but if you've really got people in that congregation to listen to that, you need to figure out what kind of church you're in. And why has that preacher got people in his church listening to Joyce Myers and Joel Osteen? Amen. Anyway, uh, but what I'm saying is that these defiled apostates, and then notice a deceived assumption. Look at verse 5. And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all of Israel shouted with a great shout, so that the earth rang again. Boy, they're shouting. They got a lot of noise. They're giving the Lord a hand clap of praise, whatever that means. And, I mean, they're just all, they're just all, they got a lot of noise. But God ain't happy. Warren Wearsby said, the ark may have been with them, but God was against them. God will not be used to make sinful people achieve their selfish purposes. 
They're trying to use God. They're trying to use God's, hey, we'll get that art. We'll just use God to do what we want done. Boy, a lot of people do that, don't they? They only pray when they got trouble. They only come to church when things are bad or going on in their life. And thank God in my distress, I cried, Lord, and he heard me. But then when the trouble goes away, they leave the Lord. I got a spare tire on my truck. I've only used it one time. Thank God. And I had a flat tire, and I used that spare, thank God for it. And, and the church was gracious and, and, and took care of that need for me. And I'm very grateful for that. That was back last year. But you know what I did after those men put them new tires on my truck? You know what I know with that spare? I put it back. You know why? I don't need it. No, don't need it right now. But it's there when I need it. That's the way a lot of people treat the Lord. You know, I can't see my spare tire. It took me, it took me, it took me 20 minutes trying to find where the spare tire was in that truck. And finally I looked under it. Oh, there it is. It's under my truck. Can't see it. Even in my RAV, you can't see it. It's, it's under the, uh, in the back. But I tell you, I know it's there when I need it. That's why a lot of people treat God. Well, preacher, I, I, this is Wednesday night. I, I know this is not, but I'm just talking in general. That's why people treat God. I know He's there when I need Him. Oh, God's on a spare tire tonight. And sadly, America's treated God like that. When 9-11 happens, all oh, they want to sing, God bless America and have prayer. But then they just turn everything aside, and when things are not going there, when things get back to kind of status quo, and, and when things are, when you have another tragedy, oh, please pray. And, and let me just run this rabbit while it's running by. I try not to run rabbits. That's one of my New Year's resolutions. I've been doing pretty good so far up until last night. Uh, but anyway, uh, but I, I hate that that football player with the bills died on the field. And I'm glad that that young man was revived because he has a family and he has people that love him. But ain't it amazing? All those guys that were cursing God and had a filthy mouth and all that stuff. What an amazing how quick they were to get down on their knee and pray. And what bothered me was the preachers and and the Christians that were condoning it. And that same fella, that DeMar Hamlin fella, uh, that, that died on the film, they revived him, the next week was cursing God on his Twitter feed. Yeah. And you know what he's doing? You know what he's doing? Spare tire. It was God that spared that man's life because God's a giver of life. Amen. But don't be deceived. I'm a Georgia Bulldog fan. I'm an Atlanta Braves fan. But I don't think none of that crowd saved. I don't think none of them knows God. I don't watch them because they're spiritual giants. I watch them because we beat teams. Amen. Or most of the time we do. And, and people want to, and, and, and all that. And they, they just use God. And, man, he failed. I'm, I hate it for the guy. But they all went about that and pray. But, but you look, next week they were cussing and fighting one another and cussing the refs and cussing one another and using filthy language and disrespecting God. Spare tire religion. Then notice, notice that, number four, the rallying cry. This is interesting, verses 6 through 9. We'll read it for a second time. We'll read the points as we go. The Philistines hear about this. Look at the perceived idea in verse 6. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What made the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood that the ark of the Lord was coming to the camp. Somehow these Philistines found out that Israel's got the Ark of the Covenant and they're going to bring it into battle. A panic is induced, verse 7. And the Philistines, now watch this now. The Philistines were afraid. For they said, God is coming to the camp. And they said, woe unto us. 
For hath not been such a thing heretofore. Woe unto us who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods. These are the gods that smote the Egyptians all the plagues in the wilderness. Now the Philistines have a mixed up view of Jehovah. They use the term God as gods. One writer said they was referring to the Trinity. What would the Philistines know about the Trinity? I think they had a mixed up view about God. But they had more respect for Jehovah than Israel did. They hate Jehovah. They hate Israel. But they said, oh no, their God is coming to their camp. They had more respect and more admiration for Jehovah than Israel did. That's sad right there. Preparation increased in verse 9. Be strong, quit yourselves like men, O ye Philistines, that you be not servants unto the Hebrews. This phrase jumped out to me today. As they have been to you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. The Philistines began to rally the troops. I, I read that phrase, Brother Charles, you know, quit yourselves like men. Paul told the church at Corinth to do that. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit, ye, quit you like men, be strong. The Philistines were doing what Israel should have been doing. That phrase, quit you like men, means to prepare yourself, get ready for battle. But Israel, and I, I believe, and that leads us to number five, the recognized cost. What did it cost Israel losing these battles? Well, number one, there was a great defeat in verse 10. Now look at verse 10 and see if you see what I saw today. And the Philistines fought and Israel was smitten. Do you see Israel fighting that verse? To me, Brother Richie, and I could be wrong, and I, I'm always corrected by that book, but to me it looks like the, Philistine, the Israelites said, we got the ark, we ain't got to fight. We, we got the religious form. And the Philistines come in there and, for lack of a better word, whooped them, killed them. A great defeat. Verse number 10 tells us that there fell 30,000 footmen. Between these two battles, 34,000 men of Israel have lost their lives. The great defeat, the grievous day. We won't read all the verses for sake of time. My time's about gone. Verses 12 through 18, a man comes to Eli, the priest, because they take the ark and comes to tell Eli that his not only has the ark been taken, but his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, have died in the battle. And Eli was so troubled. He was a heavy man. He was sitting down. I wonder where he was sitting because there wasn't supposed to be a chair in that tabernacle. He sat out on God somewhere. Sitting down. And when he hears, when he hears the tidings, not trying to be funny, but Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. Because the Bible said he fell backwards and he was heavy and he died. It's a grievous day in Israel. A great defeat, a grievous day. And here's why, because the glory had departed. The ark was taken, verse 11. Phineas' wife, verses 19 to 22, she's expecting a child and she goes into labor when she hears the tidings that her husband is dead and that the ark had been taken away. Verse 21, and she named the child Ichabod, saying, the glorious departed from Israel because the ark of God was taken and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, the glorious departed from Israel for the ark of God is taken. I said this last night, as far as I can tell in my studies, the ark of the covenant was out of Israel for 70 years. 70 in your Bible is God's number for punishment. Why did they lose these two battles? 
Israel assumed they would win because they were giving God a religious nod. They were not sincere in their desire for the help of God. And for that lack of sincerity, they suffered great loss. We must realize how much we need the Lord in our lives. Here's what I wrote down. A lot of people want what the Lord does for them. They don't want the Lord. They want what He does rather than who He is. God do this for us. God do this. If we're not careful, we'll be more consumed on what He does than who He is. And every time that happens, Brother Charles, we're going to lose. Because they said that ark will save us. They wasn't seeking God. In these battles that we fight, we're not fighting new enemies tonight. We're fighting old enemies. And the old weapons still work. Give you this, we're going to pray and go home. We're not even going to have a song tonight. I don't feel left to. First Kings chapter 18 is when um, Elijah's up there on Mount Carmel. Y'all remember that story? And y'all remember the basis of the contest? Whatever God sent what down? Fire. So Elijah's being a gentleman. He lets the prophets of Baal go first. And all day long, Brother Charles, all day long, Brother Tony, they pray, they jump up and down on the altar. By the way, if I was asking God to send fire to the altar, I would not be jumping up and down on the altar. They didn't have much faith either. And then Elijah gets up and he prays. I noticed something interesting about Elijah's prayer. I've told it before. Elijah prayed for everything but for fire. You read the text, he never asked God to send fire down from heaven. He just asked God for be God, to be God. He said that all of Israel might know that thou art God in Israel. He said, God, I'm not interested in what you can do. I'm interested in you. If we're not careful in life, we'll get more interested in what he can do for us instead of being interested in him. May God help us to learn from the mistakes of Israel in this text tonight so we don't suffer defeat. Amen. Well, thank you for being in church tonight. I appreciate the good liberty to preach, share the burden. Thank you for your faithfulness in the service. We're going to be dismissed in a word of prayer. Go ahead. Yeah. Make an announcement? Okay. Do I need to go out? Oh, okay. All right. Well, just go ahead and dismiss us in prayer too. Turn that pulpit mic on. Um, don't forget the Lord's Day. He'll make an announcement and he'll pray and we'll go home. Let's stand. Thank God for his word. Amen. Ms. Delaney wanted me to make an announcement for...